If you've got your phones or if you've got a Bible, we want to encourage you to find Romans chapter 15 today. Uh, if you're using your phone, all of our notes for the sermons are in the uh, Bible app. Uh, you can go to the events tab there and find it, all right? So, um, man, I'm excited. Good worship this morning. Grateful to sing and uh, just be with the church. Uh, and we're in the middle, uh, we're nearing the end of a couple of things. One, we've been going through the book of Romans as a church this year. We've got Romans 15 and Romans 16, so we're almost done. And uh, we're also, as we come into the fall here, we're in this series, our community groups are going through the same thing uh, called Made for More. We're exploring this idea, right, that that we are made for, for more than maybe what we think, and we're trying to ask these questions. Who has God made us to be? What does God want us to do? And where does God want us to go and do those things? And so community groups have been helping people to explore their personal callings. And on Sundays, we've been kind of laying out some big picture things for us as a a church, as a group of people. And so we've talked about uh, some ideas. We want to be a kneecap. Uh, And I'm I'm not going to re-preach the sermon. But the idea, right, is that we're we're, uh, pushing others to be the best they can be by the way that we love them. Uh, We want to be peacemakers. Uh, We talked a lot about that couple weeks ago. Uh, Some things we want to do, we want to love outside our gifts. You heard Shay talking about that. We want to follow Jesus first. We want to honor the leaders that uh, God has placed into our lives, Um, but ultimately we want to be people that are following Jesus first with our best and with priority. And today uh, we're going to start talking about, as as we get into this month of November, we're going to talk a lot about where God has called us to go as a church and uh, the first idea that we're going to talk about today in Romans 15 is that he wants us to go find discipleable people. And yes, if you type that in, the red squiggly line will show up and we made the word up. Amen. He said, somebody said amen. Well, I don't know about that, but we're going to go find discipleable people, all right? And today, as we, as we dig into Romans 15, we're going to explore the journey of the author of this book, Paul. And we're going to be inspired by his story to find discipleable, I can't even say it now, discipleable people just as he did, all right? So um, our family uh, loves to visit Destin. It's, uh, it's been a family vacationing spot for a while. And when I say our family, I mean Caitlin and, and me. Uh, I never went on vacations growing up, so this is like a whole new thing. But her family has always done that. I joined them in, and it was a really great destination. Uh, in fact, many people have made it their destination over the years. It's grown and changed a lot. Uh, and I can remember the first time that we were going to get in a car with kids and drive from Shelbyville, Kentucky to Destin. I was not looking forward to it. I'm like, vacation cannot be worth it. I know why my parents never took us on vacation. This is going to be terrible. And I was dreading the drive down I-65. I mean, that's like, like, no, this is going to be absolutely, like, can't we just fly? Like, can we, can we just fly, please? But every year we drive. <laughs> every year we drive. And as we've done that over the years, I've learned to be grateful for the journey. Songs are saying... Funny moments about become part of our family's nerdy inside jokes, right? There's just things that are said on the road trip that become part of your language. Um, but possibly most important, we stop at Peach Park. Anybody know what Peach Park is? Oh, oh, man. Sherry is, Sherry is, she's like, she said, oh gosh. If she responded in the sermon, watch out, guys. 
Peach Park. You gotta you gotta go to Peach Park. All right. So Peach Park is this cool little uh, I don't know what you call it place. It's a it's a place uh, on the journey to Destin. And you get off I sixty five and you go inside and there's like this little market. The best homemade peach ice cream. Uh, like right to the right of this picture, there's this old tractor that you could like every lawyer kid will now sit on the seat of that tractor and have their picture taken. I mean, it's like just all these little things, right? And um, it's so cool because, man, the destination is Destin. We know we're headed to Destin. And I dreaded the journey. Like, I just dreaded the journey. But now, Peach Park is part of that journey, and I value that part of the journey as much as I do the destination. Looking back, it would be hard to imagine trips to Destin without drives down I-65. You know, as Christians, I think sometimes we have that same approach in life. We love the destination. Everybody loves to talk about heaven. And we should. It's a great destination. How many of us are missing Jesus in the journey? How many of us are missing Jesus in the journey? Paul is still pressing on this idea that he's kind of carried throughout Romans that if we're just honest, most of us are really self-consumed. We read this in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Part of the reason that we miss the journey for the destination is because we're focused on ourselves. As long as I make it, that's all that really matters. Made for more. We've challenged you guys to think about who God has made you to be. We've challenged you to think about what God has asked you to do. But where does God want you to go? Who God made you to be and what He's asked you to do, they set you on a course, right? They, they paint a picture of the destination for where you're heading. The problem is, is we get so caught up with that destination that we can forget that we were made for more on the journey. We're missing Jesus on the journey. Jeff Bracken uh, was a pastor elder here at Governor's Square. Um, man, made huge sacrifices to go and be a part of the, the pastor elder team at Midland. And as many of you know, he, um, he's a great teacher and a great preacher. But uh, this summer, he spent biking across America. Many of you are familiar with this story. We got a picture of Jeff picking up his bike uh, in some sort of victory. I don't know what the, I'm, who knows what the milestone was at this moment. Um, I told Jeff, our families hung out last night. And I told Jeff, I said, hey, Jeff, I need another story for my sermon tomorrow. And I said, and your life is way more adventurous than mine. So could you give me one? <clears throat> and um, it didn't quite go like that, but that was kind of the gist of the conversation. And he shared this one story from uh, this summer as he was biking across America. He said, we were somewhere in the state of Washington, so early in the journey. And he said, you know, everybody's excited. You dip your back wheel in the Pacific Ocean and you start biking down the road and you're going and you're going and you're going. And he said, we got to this point, he said, I'm biking down this highway. He said, and I look in front of me, and I don't see anything. No hills, no mountains, no cars, no people. Jeff has tunnel vision, right? It's like, that struck me. So I turned to each side, and the same was true. 
He said, and I stopped and I turned and I looked around behind me and he said the same was true. He said, you want to talk about a moment of worship? Just the reality that there's 7 billion some people in the world and here I am in this place in God's creation and I'm literally the only thing that I can see for miles and miles around me. Jeff's destination was Washington, D.C., on the other side of the country. But he stopped in that moment because Jesus was doing something on the journey. He was teaching about who he was on the journey. In our spiritual lives, man, we sure love the destination. We love the thought of heaven. There's no, no tears, no pain, no guilt, no shame. We love the destination. Man, we can go, man, we can really miss Jesus in the journey. We struggle with the journey. And I think there was another guy in Scripture that played a huge part in Paul's story who would have said the same. His name was Ananias. If you've got your Bibles, put your thumb in Romans 15 and flip over to Acts chapter 9. Ananias was instrumental in helping bring Paul to the faith. I love his story because I think we can skip over it sometimes and we maybe miss, miss the simplicity of Ananias' story and yet how much we might be like him. Verse 10 says, There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Here we are, church, on this journey. We're saying, hey, you're made for more. You should be in a community group and, and really press into what God is calling you to do, who he's made you to be. Can you imagine if through that journey, you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear the Lord say your name. It's like, oh yes, this is it. There's not going to be any question. I've got, whoo, let me get my notebook out. Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go. Ooh, this is going to be good. Action. Big picture. Get up and go to the street called Straight. Oh man, this is so specific. Thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. This is so good. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas. Okay, man, this is great. Straight Street, Judas, got it. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Do what? Yeah, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he's praying there. Because in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. See, what everyone in that day and age knew was that Saul had been a pretty bad guy. Ananias is excited. He's a disciple. He's seeking, who am I made to be? What am I called to do? Where am I supposed to go? God says, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Okay, here's exactly what you're supposed to do. Go to the house, or go to the street named Straight. Go to Judas's house. And talk to a guy named Saul. No, Lord, you can't. No, no, that's not for me. Not, not for me. I was with you until that Saul part. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. Ananias says, Lord, I was in for the destination. I follow Jesus because I want to be in heaven with him. I don't, 
on this journey to Straight Street to talk to Saul. Are you sure about that? But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then in the pivotal moment, the moment that many of us face, when we sense that the Lord is asking us to do something that may be hard, that may be outside of our comfort zone, that may be difficult, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, as followers of Jesus, our destination may be heaven, but we were made for more on the journey. There is so much on this side of that. And when we hear that, it's exciting, right? Like, it's exciting to know that there's purpose behind my life and behind what I'm doing and, and behind who I am. Like, there's purpose. That it's exciting. But then there's also a lot of nervousness. And will people accept me if I begin to live my life with that kind of purpose? What will people think if I'm the guy that always talks about Jesus? What will people say about me when I leave the room? Who will keep being my friend? And yeah, we're all adults here, and those like, but, but those are real questions. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know the answers. But I know someone who does. Right? Christ has already accepted you. He's accepted you. And part of seeing Him work in the journey is accepting your position as a follower of Him. If we go back to Romans 15, Paul says, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, verse 2. And then he says in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. You see, we have a Savior that knows what it is to not be accepted. To have unfair insults thrown at Him. He went all the way to the cross so that He could take yours from you. He has accepted you. Many of us struggle to follow Jesus on the journey because it means that we aren't accepted by the world around us. It means that those who are in our lives and looking on at how we're living, they don't quite understand why we are the way that we are. And the alternative is to begin to simply please yourself, to live life for you, to try and prove that who you are is good enough for those around you. But let me share one of the most freeing truths of the gospel. You are not unacceptable to Jesus. You don't have to do anything to be accepted by Him. Just accept that you've been accepted. Accept that you've been accepted. And the irony in that is that that's one of the most difficult things for us to do to accept that we've been accepted. Imagine with me for a moment. Go on a little journey with me here, all right? Imagine with me that you're building your dream house that did different things for different people. Some of you have got the floor plans and the plot of land and everything. You're really close. 
Imagine with me, you're building your dream house. You've picked out the floor plans. You've bought the plot of land. You can picture it in your mind. And then comes the question, who is going to build this dream house? So you begin to interview builders. You narrow it down to three. You sit down and you're interviewing them. You, you have them explain their bids and you ask all the detailed questions about the things that you really care about. Are there going to be two sinks because there's no way I can share with my wife? Apparently that's just me. So you ask these three guys, right? One of the builders clearly isn't prepared, so you know they're out. Another one seems great, but he's so busy that it might be a year or more before he can start the building, and you're like, I don't have time for that. You're out. The third, he doesn't seem to be a bad option either, and he's ready to start right away. So you call him up. You tell him, hey, man, you've got the job. You're building my dream house. And then he responds, well, let me just send over some more thoughts that I've got on the blueprints, or let me take some more time to prepare before I start building. I think, okay, well, that's kind of weird, but whatever you need, man. So he does that. He sends them over. You agree. This looks good. And then he asks, well, do you want to see some of the other houses I've built before I get started? Dude, you already have the, do- the job. Like, just, just get started. Like, just get going. It seems foolish, right, that that would be the case. It's almost unrealistic. Like, after you've got the job, you've got the job, right? And yet, as followers of Christ, Jesus has already accepted your application to be his follower, to help build his house. And most of us are stuck because we don't know how to accept the job. We're afraid that we're going to mess it up. We're uncertain. Maybe we're not even sure what we're supposed to do. You see, too many Christians buy the lie that their main purpose is to better themselves to make themselves acceptable, to build their resume so that they can whip that out at the gates of heaven and and Peter will say, go on in. None of those things are true. You've already been accepted. Jesus is telling you to accept the job, get to work, and he'll provide all of the -the on-the-job training that you need. So how do you accept the position? And what is the work that we're called to? Acts 2.38, Peter preached a sermon Uh, to the early church. He was telling them the same things, right? Whether you're Jew or you're a Gentile, you've been accepted by Christ. All you have to do is give your life, you accept that you've been accepted. And it says they were cut to the heart and Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For some of you today, you're sitting here And you love the idea that you've been accepted by Christ, but you've never been able to accept that you're accepted. If that's you, your next step is to repent and be baptized. To turn from your old life and say, I'm going to live that kind of life that follows Jesus first. To repent, to turn, and to be baptized. That's how you accept the position, but what's your work as an accepted follower? We jump down to verse 13 in chapter 15, and Paul says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our work as followers of Christ is to overflow with hope. To overflow with hope. And the question becomes, where is that overflow happening? One morning this week, I walked over to make a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, and uh, I come over to the Keurig, 
and I see this water ring around the bottom of the Keurig tray. I'm worried. My Keurig might be broken. I'm like, Caitlin, have you used the Keurig this morning? Because there's water all over the counter over here. And she's like, oh, yeah, I overflowed the reservoir as I was refilling it. I was like, thank goodness the Keurig isn't broken. But I tell that story to show this, that when something overflows, people notice. When something overflows, people noticed. She said, I tried, Caitlin said this, she said, I tried to wipe it up, but apparently I missed some. Like, that's just how overflows go, right? Like, you can try to clean it up, but you know when something is overflowed. There's watermarks, like, you know. And so, Christ community, my question, my question, and this isn't just for new believers, this is for all of us. Like, Shay talked about this this morning, like, man, there's always a next step. So my question is, what if, what if your life began to change in ways that were so noticeable that you couldn't hide it from people? What if your life began to change in ways that were so noticeable that you couldn't hide it from people? Like, I don't want to think about that question because it means I'm going to have to give something up. It means something's going to have to change. And yet that's exactly what we're called to, to overflow with hope. And as long as we haven't made it to our destination, as long as we're living and breathing, our job as Christ followers is to be making those types of changes so that our life is overflowing on those around us. So that the people two doors down, just like Shay said, see something different. When Jesus overflows, people notice. And they notice not because of what you did, but because of what he did. I love Ecclesiastes, the whole book actually, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14 says this, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Now here's what our flesh does, church. We begin to think about that. We even ask that question and you begin to dream about how your life could be different, if you radically begin to follow Christ, if you, if you maybe begin to think about how your budget could look different or your time would look different, or maybe like your career would look different, who knows how you're made for more? And we begin to think about that, and we go down those paths, and we think about those things, and they're like, whoa, not me, God. Not me. I've worked way too hard to get to where I'm at. I can't do it. I am who I am. Wrong. You are made for more. You are made for more. The other thing I hear when I talk about this idea of overflowing is like, well, I can only overflow if I get my cup filled. What if it's less about filling your cup and more about being in a place that Jesus wants to overflow you in? See, I'm pretty sure that Jesus, because it's his work, because he's the one working so that people will be in awe of him, not you. I'm pretty sure if you put yourself in a position where he needs to overflow, he will more than fill you. He will fill your cup. Gloria Furman writes this about the awkwardness of sharing Jesus with the people that you live, work, and play with. She says, you sit next to your coworker as the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You stand among other travelers in the queue as a sojourner whose citizenship is in heaven. 
You interact with people in this age of intolerance and virtue, signaling as one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at God's word alone. You supervise children at the park as one who has been born again to a living hope. You drink water with your hiking club as one whose heart overflows with rivers of living water. You lay on a bed in the hospital as the recipient of a spiritual heart transplant, your stony, dead heart for a living heart of flesh. Your family members watch you live out a thousand deaths to self and eventually death itself as a new creation in Christ. And then she concludes, If our chief concerns are about avoiding awkwardness, it would be more awkward not to talk about eternal things. You and I never know those who have been, who are, and who will soon be wrestling with those weighty spiritual issues, waiting for someone to bring them God's Word. Believe that God is both willing and able to give you what you need in order that you might joyfully spread the Word about His Son in any and every cultural scenario, however seemingly awkward it may feel at first. What if it's not about filling your cup? but about being in a place that Jesus wants to overflow. Paul believed this too. Verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he turns and he says in verse 14, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Why is he sure of this? Not because of the people. Not because he thought they were just extraordinarily good people that could do it. He believed this because of the Spirit of God that fills those people up. God has given you everything you need to do everything he's asked you to do. Get to work. Accept your position as a follower of Christ. Stop waiting to be made for more and start telling others that they are made for more. Go find discipleable people on the journey. So I want you to do this with me. Ask God right now in your seat, Lord, who in my life is receptive to a conversation about Jesus? Who is seeking more? And I'm not telling them how they're made for more. Jesus, show me that person who's treading water in a pool of self-centeredness and needs me to throw them Jesus as a lifeline. Who is that in my life, Lord? Lord, send me to discipleable people. Put me in a place where I can overflow, God. Would you ask him that now? Paul is asking the people of Rome that he's writing to to do this very same thing. And he's asking them to do it because he himself has lived it out. Way back at the beginning of the year, we read from Romans 1. And this is what Paul said in Romans 1, verse 10. He said, I'm always asking you in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Rome was this destination for Paul. In his life, he's thinking, if I can just get to Rome, the political capital of the world, if I can just get to Rome and share the gospel, that's the destination. If I can just get there. But along the way, God had done so much through Paul's ministry. So much, in fact, that he was learning that even Rome was just another stop on the journey. Paul is casting vision for what the lives of these Christians who live in Rome should look like. Follow along with me. I'm just going to read this. Verse 17, it's a, 
It's a great just narrative of Paul pouring out his heart. He says, therefore, I've got reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. I just want to brag on Jesus is what he's saying. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim, says Paul, is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it's written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And that is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. See, Paul has recognized what he thought was the destination was part of the journey. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. Whenever I travel to Spain, For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I finish this and safely deliver the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I just love Paul. It's like, man, I'm just, I'm just serving people, ministering to them along the way as Christ ministers to me. And when I brag, I just get to brag on what God's doing in my life, all the stories that I see happening. Not, not all that he's blessing with me, but all that he's changed in me. I can't help it. I'm full of hope. It just has to overflow out of me. Christ community, the vision is the same for us. Go find discipleable people on the journey that he has you on. Let your love for Jesus overflow unto them that they might be so intrigued as to join you on this journey to a place where there is no more tears. There, there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow or guilt. There's only Jesus. You know, the most difficult part for many of us in this is that for so long, you may have thought that your destination was a career Your destination was a place. Your destination was an American dream. But really, all those things are just part of the journey. They're just part of the journey. I've got four copies of this book. I'm going to leave them up here on stage. Anybody who wants one can take one. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. The author writes, Whatever the particular form our methodology takes, Jesus' life would teach us that finding and training people to reach people must have priority. The multitudes cannot know the gospel unless they have a living witness. Merely giving them an explanation will not suffice. The wandering masses of the world must have a demonstration of what to believe. They must have a mentor who will stand among them and say, follow me, I know the way. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand amongst the people that live in your neighborhood, in your home, in our community? Not with all the answers, but with a willingness to say, follow me. I know the way. The way is Jesus. He will give us the answers that we need. 
Paul gives focus to where we might go, and I think he gives focus to us too in verse 20. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. What if we just made it a goal of ours to find people, discipleable people, where Christ has not been named? In that light, I've got two questions for us, and then I'll be done. Are there people in your life who may not hear the name of Jesus spoken during the course of the day? Sobering thought. Students in your classroom, people that you work with, who don't hear the name of Jesus during the course of the day. I'd like to give you a next step to identify one person that that's true of and let them see Jesus overflowing out of you. Ask them questions that lead to conversations. And as the conversation happens, spill Jesus into the conversation. Maybe you're like, I don't know where any of those people are. Well, here's an opportunity. This weekend, light up Shelbyville. We're going to have a booth. We're going to have a big nine square in the air, fun thing. Put your left Shelbyville shirt on. Come hang out with us and strike up a conversation with someone and find out what they know about Jesus. Find out if they're close to him or if they're far off. Are there people in your life who may not hear the name of Jesus spoken during the course of a day? Second one is this. Will you join us with a team of missionaries who have moved to share Jesus in a place where less than 1% of people know Christ? We're excited. We're beginning a partnership as a church with a team of nine people who are in Central Asia. They're working in five cities amongst a people group that is less than 1% reached. Over the course of 2020, we hope to, to build a relationship with them that begins with prayer and pastoral needs. And uh, we're looking forward to potentially a trip there in 2021. Less than 1%. Would you join us in that effort? Would you begin to think about that with us? Here's our first next step in that. Uh, every year... Uh, the group of churches that we're a part of at the Southern Baptist Convention does something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. We're going to take that up on December 22nd. It's like Christmas Sunday, okay? And every dollar of that offering goes to support uh, missionaries like the ones that we're partnering with, uh, in addition to uh, over 3,400 or 3,500 missionaries all over the world. It goes directly to them for projects and things that they need. So I want to ask you, if you would, as a family unit, to begin thinking about how could my life look different in the next 50 days? There's 50 days until that offering. How could my life look different so that I could give to a group of people who are trying to make Jesus known in a place where less than 1% of the people know Him? And I think if we would do that, we'll be amazed to see that not only will more people come to know Jesus there, more people will be intrigued by the Jesus that we're following when we are willing to live a life that looks different. Go find disciples of people. As we finish today, we respond to the gospel. The band's going to come and remind us of the love of Christ that accepts you. It accepts you. And it asks you to accept your position as a follower of Christ. We're going to respond to that, as we often do each week, by taking the Lord's Supper. You know, the first time that the Lord's Supper was taken, Jesus is sitting around a table with 12 disciples. 
all those who were part of Jesus' mission were accepted at the table. They go around the room, they share with the bread, they share with some juice. And through that act, Jesus reveals a couple of things. One, he reveals that Judas is going to betray him. Judas leaves the room. Judas was unwilling to accept his position as a follower of Christ. It wasn't that he wasn't accepted, but he was unwilling to accept his position. He was accepted, but he didn't accept the mission. And then he looks around at the 11 that are left. He says, you're all going to deny me. You're going to die. Do you accept the mission? As we take part in that same supper that Jesus started years and years ago, as baptized believers in Christ, we come forward and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice. The question is, do you accept the mission? Are you willing to change whatever it takes and give up whatever you have to see people far from Jesus join you on the journey to eternity with Him? Are you willing to accept? I want you to think about that before you get up and take communion with us this morning. You're accepted at the table if you are a follower of Christ. Are you willing to accept the mission? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your reckless love. It is reckless to accept some yahoos and heathens like us people who get so distracted by things of this world. Father, I pray that through your spirit, through your word, we are encouraged today. To go love people like you would. To join you on the mission to find people that are just waiting to hear your word and that we might overflow the hope of Christ all over them. Spirit, give us eyes to see where we might join you. Father, for those that have not accepted your love, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to repent, to turn, and to be baptized, to find new life in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.